Welcome to the More Than More podcast, where we discuss building meaningful, impactful businesses, careers, and lives through real estate. What's wrong? Oh, is this supposed to be red? Recording button? Uh, that means it's recording. Oh. oh. So, <laughs> We're recording. Um, okay. My blood is boiling. Roger's got his arms crossed. I think this Tammy's, is going to be interesting because of your blood. Tammy's cheeks are red. And Kyle is about to crawl out of the room on all fours just to avoid the tension. I'm trying to laugh to lighten yeah, it up. I don't like that. <sighs> Do you want to talk about puppies? Well, welcome everybody to the, what would we call this? The May Market Update podcast um, in the room with Roger, Tammy, and Kyle. And we just had... <laughs> Probably one of the most contentious conversations I can recall in 20 years of real estate sales. No, no, no. <laughs> we're going to disagree with you. Again. Dylan, uh, I, the reason I'm just smiling because you and that's like the least contentious conversation you've I, you and I have had in unbelievable. <laughs> so I'm, no names, guys, but <clears throat> we, we just had a case study. Um, about escalation clauses. We'll leave it at that. I've got a funny feeling we'll be talking about this in the weeks to come. It turns out that all three of these yahoos completely <laughs> disagree with me. And I think, yeah. I think I must be wrong because they're all smart. That, and, by the way, is the first time I've heard that <laughs> in 25 years. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Well, we are ready to talk about the market. We, we've... Um, we're going to have a pretty casual conversation here today. I've got some topics teed up, but I think we've got some smart people in the room and we're just trying to figure out where the market's at right now because we're, I think it's, would you guys disagree with me now if I said that we're in a state of flux? Are you going to disagree with any, like everything I said? I agree. Yeah. I would agree with that. A great word. Yep. Okay, flux that, is a great word. That's a great point for me today. That's my <laughs> first point for the day. <laughs> um, and what does flux mean to you, by the way? Uh, just a slight shift. I mean, uh, something is moving or changing, and we don't know exactly what. Yep. I thought you meant flock. That beautiful spring flower was coming out. So <laughs> I'm completely lost at the moment. Um, change. Okay. Um, it's changing. So I think let's cover some of the points of change, what we're seeing, uh, and we'll see where the conversation goes from there. But... Mm, First place it has to be interest rates, right? <clears throat> Did anyone check where they're at today? This um, week? I got an email from a lender. It said 5.125 for a 30 year fixed. Does that mean it pulled back slightly from a week or two ago? Uh, that's what I saw Green yes, State at. They have yeah. since the Fed came out. Okay, so let me tee it up and then you guys run with it because you're clearly smarter than me. So we've obviously seen, um, and I'll, I've got this graph, we'll make sure that this is available to everyone, but we're, we're looking at the fastest increase in interest rates, uh, about two percentage points up from a 3% low back in basically a year ago. Three, not low, sorry. We were at three a year ago. We're all the way up to 5.5, I believe, last week. You're saying it might have pulled back slightly. Um, the previous increase, uh, time period that we've seen this kind of increase was all the way back here in 2018. So in 18, the Fed started to increase rates. It, it climbed as high as 4.9, and we felt a pullback in the market. Then ever since then, obviously, we've done the COVID decline all the way to, what, 2.5, 2.6% lows. And then this, uh, what's the opposite of precipitous? Straight up. 
climb all the way up to 5.5. Well, and, and that is the fastest increase, I believe, on record, uh, two, two percentage point increase. So people's heads are spinning. The only other, other point worth bringing up is um, I believe that we have seen, though, a pullback in the 10-year. The 10-year Treasury yield has come backwards, which indicates that this thing could be maybe peaking, depending on what happens next. So so that's where we're at, 5.5% interest rates. Um, what you got to add to this? Well, I don't, for me, I don't think it was surprising um, that they, one, are at five. I mean, we've been saying that they were going to raise this year, and two, that they pulled back a little because the Fed didn't raise rates as much as they said they were going to. And so the increase earlier this year um, was a result of um, – preemptive anticipation yeah anticipation that's the right word yeah yeah I and think, so i think that's where the flux comes from is when we were talking a couple of months ago it was okay we'll probably be five by the end of the year and the fact it just did it so quickly uh really probably slowed things down things down a little bit i was anticipating you know marching into this spring much like last year and the flux a little change <laughs> uh, it's it's not terrible. That's why I think flux is a good word because it's all relative. I mean, it feels more like two or three years ago than last year, mm-hmm. which were still incredible years in real estate. But You anecdotally dealing with clients pulling back a little bit as a function of just concern about rates or where things are headed? What we've are you experiencing? Had, we've had a couple that have uh, stopped to consider what they were doing uh, and still ended up moving forward with buying a house at five plus. Yep. I've, um, <clears throat> my conversation has shifted to maybe we're looking at arms and I've been drilling that. I had two clients this past week and one was doing a VA at 5.75%. And we locked them into an arm that was under three and a half. Uh, it was a five year arm. I had another client that was doing FHA uh, and again, mid mid fives. And uh, we switched them to a 10 year arm where it was 3.75. Both their payments, because the price point they were at, were between six to seven, $750 change in payment. You would advise people to do that at this point? Yeah, I would definitely advise that. Depends on their situation. So five or 10? Well, I would probably push more of the 10. The 10 is close enough to the five. The one I pushed to the five, uh, military guy, he was the guy doing the VA. He's going to be out here in three years. Yeah. Uh, the other people are long-term, and my thought is, well, year 11, they'll be where they are today. So you really have 12 years to either refinance or you know, who knows what they're going to do at that point. But Situation, you said? Yeah, it depends on the client situation. I mean, if they're military, they're going to leave in three years. They're students, they're whatever. Um, if their plan is to only be there three or four years, then mm-hmm. an arm is not bad idea. And what did you say they were getting on a, on a five or 10 year? Yeah, three. Uh, I know Northwest had 3.625. Green State had like 3.75. Those are 10 year arms. And that's, that's where I'd be I'm encouraging uh, about every client that way. Hmm. Yeah, you always hear about arms being so scary, but they're locked in for five years or 10 years at that rate. And then you have that long to refinance or do something different or. Yeah, the danger is when you're um, you're coming in with no money down. Right. You're not chiseling. I mean, an arm with uh, no interest, interest only payments is, is where no. I think people got in trouble. So long as you're chiseling away at that thing, you right. guys looked at each other there. That was a, a thing. Yeah. Not, 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 not now. Yeah. These yeah. are not interest <laughs> only. Yeah. 
I, I had recommended my first arm in maybe 10 years, maybe five years, but probably more like 10 years. Just recently. Yeah. Recently. Um, I think the thing that is maybe lost a little bit is the, the word Tammy used the anticipation that the market used to climb rates so quickly before the Fed even made their announcement. Yep. What historically we're used to is the everybody waits in anticipation of the Fed making their announcement. And then when they do, there's kind of a soft response that happens over time. And for, for whatever reason, somebody in the market decided we're actually going to guess at what the Fed will do, will do and we're going to make this really quick response. And that, to me, is what's created the flux. I don't know who made that decision. Somebody out there has a lot of power that did that. And it, it created a lot of... <clears throat> well, my basic understanding of that is that that's not coming from interest rates. That's coming from the 10-year, which is being actively traded. And so it is anticipatory because they're, they're trading this thing. And so it drives it up in anticipation of those, those rates cl climbing from the Fed. So yes, it looks like we've seen a significant amount of that. I, I'm, I'm interpreting that as good news. Let's not get too technical here. But I'm interpreting that as... We've priced in a lot of this. We're probably expecting another couple of at least 50 basis point increases from the Fed. And then I'm sure they'll taper that down to a quarter point or whatever, 20.25 or whatever. But it's possible that interest rates aren't going to climb much more from here. And if they do, it, there's no indication that it's going to get above six, right? Right. I would agree with that. I hope. Yeah, well, and who are we, right? Yeah. I think it's, so the it, fact it's a midterm year and so yeah. November becomes important. It seems to me if there's any evidence of inflation retreating, I think we actually could see the Fed yeah stay the same or even go down. Well, and that's what I'm 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 trying to keep my head level on is they need to jack these rates up. They need to pull this back. They need to get inflation under control. And they may even need to create a little mini recession. But all of those could be good things because we, we need that dip every once in a while in order to keep the upward trajectory. So no one wants a recession. No one wants sales to slow down. No one wants prices. Well, not no one. I, I think even prices slowing down, some people would want right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm viewing it as a good thing. We're hoping they know what they're doing. The problem is they didn't know what they were doing last round. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was only six months ago they were saying there's no inflation fears, right? I think what I'm trying to do is focus on what I can control here. So what are the facts that we know? We know, one, they're at five and some change right now. Two, arms is a real consideration right now in the marketplace. Yes. Presuming that the client's well positioned for it. And we have a generation of buyers and agents, realtors, who don't know what an arm is. <laughs> and so I have spent we do. A quite, quite a bit of time counseling, just trying to explain. Huh. And you're right, Tammy, that there is just a general fear. fear. Well, wait, weren't arms associated with a bubble? And isn't that something super dangerous that nobody should do? Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of the emotional first first response yeah i mean if you're talking to a first-time homebuyer who has three and a half percent down and they're you know wanting to buy a brand new construction house i'm probably not going to recommend they buy they get an arm um because you don't know what's going to happen in their life in the next few years but if they have a plan if they if they're 
whatever you want to say responsible, if they've, you know, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing, then that's an option for them. But you have to counsel them. You have to talk through it. So let's call that our first nugget today. I think that's worth discussing further at team meetings and stuff. Um, take a look at inventory here real quick then. Our next slide, it looks like um, two things. One, notable increase in inventory across the nation. When I say notable, I mean the percentage increase was of note, several percent week over week. Um, still looking at, what, 305,000 single-family uh, homes for sale in the U.S., but where we're headed is the first year-over-year increase. So what they're projecting now is that by the end of the year, we can expect to see that all the way up to $390,000, sorry, sorry, 390,000 units for sale, single-family homes. Yep. And we're seeing slight upticks of inventory locally as well. Um, but I think the bigger point for me on inventory is that we're seeing it increase, but ultimately to it's increasing to ridiculously low levels. <laughs> right. And it's, and it's, and it's the normal cycle. I mean, that's one thing we haven't yes. talked about. It's, I mean, before the pandemic, every year inventory would increase towards the summer and then decrease in the winter. And that's the cycle that it is showing at the moment. And it, and it did go over a year over year. It's just that the last two years, it didn't because of the pandemic. Which I think is on this third slide here. If we take a look at the trajectory here, there is a seasonal trend on inventory. If you look at 2018, the dark blue line there, it does, you know, it increased slightly as a result of uh, the interest rate increase that occurred in 2018. But here's where they're projecting the increase. Um, and, and again, ending at 390 still puts us uh, at like 35, 40% of what inventory was just two years ago. Three, sorry, 2018 is not two years, years ago, ago anymore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But then if, if you think back to 2008 numbers, it's... Double uh, that. It was because well, it was more almost than, two more million. Double. More than double. Well, oh yeah, I don't know nationally. I just know locally. Sorry, double on the million. Yeah, yeah. Nationally, that number was close to. It was at two million. So when we were dealing with one million units, that was in record low territory. Sitting at three, what forty today? Shooting for three ninety by the end of the year is still forty percent of where we were, and maybe twenty something percent of where it was just six seven years ago. Right, and but, it, and it would be the first year-over-year increase in inventory at the end of the year. Well, I think that's that's the nugget. And that feels like good news for everybody. It feels like good news to me. We need it, yeah. So, you know, you've got an environment where interest rates are up. It's creating a little bit of anticipation and fear that's allowing some of the inventory to pile up. Uh, Pile up's the wrong word. Um, But that's where we stand. (laughs) Stay on the market for a day. Yeah. Um, well, anecdotally, I know that we've had some people list properties in the last few weeks that just a few months ago we would have accept, expected to fly off, and they haven't. They were on the market for a week. Yeah, new construction is really interesting right now. I have three new construction spec houses that are about to get sod and are not pending yet, and that has not been true the last two years. My new construction has, my spec houses have all sold well before sod over the last two years. And I now have three that are, that are not pending yet that are going to get sod. So are you seeing any price adjustments then? Uh, My builders not yet, but I am from other builders. I'm certain builders with larger inventory. I'm definitely seeing that. And I assume Kyle, you are too. Mm -hmm. 
Are you talking just new construction? Are you talking everything? Uh, everything was the question. I, I saw this number, but uh, record 15% of sellers dropped their asking price uh, in the month of April. So that, that's and a that's record. a record for the last three years or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's they just said record. So whatever that means, I mean that's a significant number dropping the price. I also think people are, you know, here in the market's great. Let's throw a number out there and realize and maybe, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but houses that were getting eight or nine offers maybe now we're getting two or three, um, and so maybe some people shooting for numbers that unrealistic. Well, we've got to be careful about the news cycle right now and what they're putting <laughs> out because yep. I think it's very react reactionary. But on the price reduction slide here, um, uh, we'll put this in at number four, but you said you said 15? 15%. So last week, it was close to 20. 19.8% of properties nationwide uh, had some kind of price reduction. The peak in 2018, uh, peak, peak is relative, peak for the last five years, um, was up to 37% of properties experiencing some sort of price adjustment. So 20 is an increase. It's a notable increase. It's certainly higher than where we were last year. But really, about 30% is kind of a normal uh, standard number there. So an increase in price reductions. Yeah, and I think that has a result, or that is a result of the prices that we've had over the last year. I mean, if you're doing a market analysis right now, I mean, your numbers are coming in higher than maybe what you expected them to come in at. And so now your seller is saying, okay, I'm going to price it at this high number and hopefully get an offer. We're going to try to maximize our dollars. Well, if it doesn't sell in the first week, you're, you're making an adjustment. And um, I think it would be wise to just take a step back with your seller and say, do you want to price it at the highest end of this range or do you want to price it more reasonably in the middle? Um, instead of doing a price reduction in a week. We're working on a piece of paper Something right now <clears throat> running uh, what, what I would call a more traditional world of pricing and how we used to think about that, where if you priced you know, below market value, you would really have 90 to 100% of the market interest in your property at market value, 70%. And then if you priced it uh, above market value, you, you reduce your buyer pool, right? But then for the last several years, all that's gone out the, the, the window. Conventional wisdom on pricing has been done. And really, no matter where you price it, you can anticipate a sale and multiple offers. If you go slightly too high, maybe you only get one or two is, is really where we've been. I think where we're headed is not all the way back to conventional pricing wisdom. Certainly, even if we price at the market right now, we can still expect multiple offers, but maybe not eight perhaps two, one, but there now is the potential to price slightly too high for the first time in a while. Yeah. There is the space where if you hit that price point, the buyer pool might just look the other way for a while. And I think that's not concerning, but it's, it's something to really consider when sitting with clients right now, because you don't want to be that person. I think it adds a lot of extra stress to the seller right now because of what they're all expecting. And I wouldn't say it makes the property look, uh, what was the word we used to use if they sat in the market too long? Stagnant. Sta or stag yeah. Um, it's ridiculous to think that a property on the market for two weeks is stagnant, but that might be <laughs> what the buyer pool considers at this point, no? Well, yeah, I told the story where my seller just was kind of up in arms because they didn't have a showing in 24 hours. Mm. And so, yeah, the, this generation of buyers and sellers does not understand what we would consider the typical market over the last hundred years in our country, um, thir 30 of which I've experienced. That makes you pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah they there's there's a there's a lack of I don't, I don't want to say patience, but um, to let the market do what it does and or let the system do what it does. It so. seems like as long as there are escalation clauses in oh, offers, no. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> as we just discussed, if there are still escalation clauses coming in offers, then I feel like I want to try to price at the top. I don't know why we would start down pricing our properties if people are still putting escalation clauses in offers. Okay, so I let's play with that. So I just said, for the first time in a while, it's dangerous to list too high. I think uh, you're a little quick on the trigger there. Okay, good. And so you're saying, no, don't, don't be concerned about that because, I mean, maybe that's this next chart here, the median U.S. home list prices. So we're still seeing listings come in. Um, heck, what is this number? I think it's uh, 10% year over year is what we saw. So... Where we are today on prices, sale prices, is a 10% increase year, year over year. And new listings coming in are still coming in at that pace. And so we're expecting, you're saying, we should still be able to realize that price. We're not expecting home values or prices to start tapering yet. Yes. I mean, think about the traditional model, pricing model that you said at a certain price we'd get. 70% of the market interested at another price we get 90% uh, at in this market. I don't care about any of that. I want one. I'm just looking for one. And there's at, enough out there that, that are willing to pay. There's still demand out there that's been waiting a long time for a house until those people are gone. It feels like we should price. What about the seller psychology of that? Like in your example for, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we have to educate that just like we do an arm loan. It's that's what yeah, there's a generation that have been experiencing HGTV markets for the last three to five years that it's all about to change, likely. So wrap that up for me. Therefore, don't be afraid to price too high. Just make sure you're doing a good job of educating and setting expectations. Well said. Well, thanks for wrapping that up. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Okay. So, and you, you wouldn't contest that at all? Yeah, I'm still probably more, maybe wouldn't push the price as much because if I had truly have this type of property we were looking at earlier, the market's going to tell me anyway where it's at uh, and I'll get those multiple offers. For example, that escalation <clears throat> story. It's, yeah. You see, you have realtor psychology as way as well. So True. Kyle's ego is dependent on these multiple <laughs> offers coming in and... <laughs> So he did his job well if he gets those eight offers. Uh -huh. uh, you also have buyer psychology and in this. I mean, yeah, you've got to be educating them as well and what they're, and we've said that the last three months, but the last probably however many months we've been doing this, that you have to uh, educate them and prepare them and set their expectations that they're not going to get the first house that they offer on. Um, and maybe the ones entering the market now might if we're, if the number of, multiple offers are coming down. So this Altos report in that slide, which uh, I'll share the link to this Altos video in, in this episode, but, but they're suggesting that even though we are in a state of flux, even though some buyer pool um, has been taken out of the market um, and pending home sales are slightly down and existing home sales are slightly down, the sales that are happening are still happening at the same pace in terms, sorry, not units, but increase price. in price. Prices for the next three to six months, even though the market slowed down, 
we would anticipate that they're going to continue to go up, which I guess ratifies what you're suggesting. Um, there's still enough buyers out there, even at 5.5, that it's not like prices are slowing down. Three to six months seems long to me, just in the change we're seeing, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I can't predict that far. Out. I think the reason they're saying three months is because of these this new listing cohort that's showing up, which close out two months from now. And so they would expect that these listings are still, yeah, selling at that price. Um, this other one that, and we can jump to other stuff here, but I, I just want to fly through these slides seeing as we have them. This, this was shocking to me. This is asking rents um, nationwide. Rents a year ago, average $1,850. Today, $2,195. That's an 18% increase year over year in rents. Amazing. I would love to see a local report on that. If I don't know if RPM has that, but just is Des Moines, is Ames, you know, is Iowa seeing that same increase? Would you expect anything other than that? Um, probably not. Um, You're I like, feel like I've got rentals. I need to up my. This yeah, is why, <laughs> this is why Ethan's trying to buy my rentals. He's seen this graph. <laughs> Well, but no, I, I, I do see some rentals that have their rents that are still low. And it's because they were the landlords that had their, you know, the mentality of oh, I'll keep it low, I'll keep my tenants and they'll stay here a long time. And, um, and yeah, just I'm just curious more than anything. The point that was made in this video on Eltos um, was that the increase in rents are, are actually a driver to keep affordability in check in a way. A lot of the, the purchasing on the investor side mm -hmm. makes the purchase more affordable as a function of what I can gain as a return on rent, which is a perpetuator of prices then. If, if, if rents were staying stagnant, but prices and interest rates were increasing, on the investor side, I might be a little more shy. But with rents increasing at that rate, it doesn't matter that the prices are high, especially if I'm a cash buyer. Um, at that elevated price, I can still get my return. So I think that was fascinating. You know, looking at this affordability index, the median family income over the last three years has gone up 10%. The qualifying income has gone almost 40% up. So as those incomes go up, you would certainly expect rental prices to go up because that money's all going somewhere. Do the landlords want it or are they going to let it all go to the grocery store? So let's, let's dive into that affordability then. <clears throat> we'll make this available as well. Again, the downside on this NAR affordability index is that it's lagging by a good month and a half. But what we see here is March's data. March represents a time period where interest rates jump from 3.5, 3.8, all the way up to 4.2. And with that going all the way up to 4.2, which, again, we're all the way to 5 and, and some change now, um, the average P&I, principal and interest payment, went from 13.60 up to 15.02. So that's, a, that's a, a, a notable increase in cost of ownership. Um, and as a result, the affordability index dropped from 134 down to 124. So what I'm expecting we're going to see a month from now when we talk again is that that P&I payment is going to go all the way up to like 1650 or something. And affordability is going to get all the way down to like 100, which is sort of the historical 
baseline for affordability. When we get below 100, that means it's not affordable anymore. So we're still in affordable territory, but we're rapidly declining. Did you read the president's, uh, what's the guy's name that sends out the DMAR stats? Yoon? Oh, Dean. Oh, you mean Les Soldrove? Yes. Says it out? What's his yeah. name? Les? Les Soldrove? Yeah. yeah. So I don't usually agree with a lot of stuff that he sends out, but I found it really fascinating. His last one he showed uh, for somebody who could afford a certain payment level, say $1,200 a month, their ability to buy a, a house just went down from like 290000 to 225000 yeah. And I liked the way that he presented that. And it speaks to affordability. And it, it was a significant change. And I, I thought he did a good job of presenting that. That's meaningful. I think KCM has similar slides that show what you can afford, basically, mm -hmm. uh, on a monthly payment budget based yeah. on increased rates. And they have an affordability chart, too, that, that I've always enjoyed uh, looking at. I don't think they included it in this last uh, uh, market report. but. I thought Kyle was uh, doing emails here, but he's yeah, putting up charts. I'm, I'm looking at um, but there are some other, um, I guess there was one article that I read um, that talks more about that affordability going even farther down than 100. I mean, 100 the baseline. the, the baseline, um, and it actually has a chart that shows it going below that, uh, meaning that it's no longer affordable to buy a house. And, and their argument <clears throat> excuse me, their argument was just that it's really affecting the the lower end buyer, the first time buyer, which we've seen in other stats as well. Which despite being notably wrong earlier in our conversation before this, <laughs> I feel like that's something I we have been calling out for a while. It's going to yes. hit the entry level buyer first. Right. Yep. Um, and I think that that's a very real thing. The, the counterpoint to that is the reason it doesn't matter is because that's the same cohort of properties that all the investors want to buy yeah so our first time home buyers are being impacted they can't buy houses right now and i think they're being sidelined and investors are stepping in and picking that stuff up yeah. so prices keep keep driving up or you have a buyer who's got to be willing to do work to a house i mean if they're able to get it and it's passes you know they just have to be willing to do work, which they haven't been over right. the last six years. Yes, that speaks to this generation of buyers again. Right. Um, what, what about that? Is, is it worth bringing up that article? I felt like it was maybe overly negative. The one you shared, Tammy, about builder <laughs> sentiment. <laughs> it is overly negative. Yeah. Uh, and you can do it. You have to balance this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of other people... Uh, if, if anyone listens to Jeremiah Babe, he had a doom and gloom uh, podcast a week ago that somebody sent me. And it said a lot of similar things as this one from Zero Hedge, um, just stating that they're, they're anticipating the cliff that, that we've talked about before. They're, they're saying um, that Zero Hedge uh, is this one that's here in front of us uh, that we can sure include a link if someone wants to yep. read that. Um, Jeremiah Babe has another podcast. I can't remember the name of his thing, but uh, very much saying there's going to be a lot more inventory. We're headed into a recession, all of that. And I think they're, they're using data month over month and not looking at historical on some of the things that they're talking about. So I think it's important to, to not just look at the month over month, but look at the historical uh, values. Well, in all I, of that. I feel like we're in a confusing time. 
Yeah. And so flux, I th- flux. Yeah. <laughs> flux. So you've got some pretty negative stuff here saying affordability and they're correct is plummeting. Yes. Uh, because it's just prices, interest rates and and yes, we've had increases in wages but certainly not keeping up. So there's a lot to be concerned about there, but then, you know, uh, KCM's report this month right. was really nothing but hey guys it's okay. This yes. is why this isn't a 2009 repeat. This is why we're not headed for a bubble. Um, and then Altos, like we've pulled out here, is is not suggesting massive increases in inventory. It's uh, right. actually it's pretty muted. And so gaining perspective right now seems very very important. Um, but I'm not sure that I am bold enough to suggest which of those narratives is true. I'll I'll say something. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still on the boat that I mean, we're not we're not headed off a cliff. Um, I I really feel like our inventory is so low um, that it's still going to yeah. take several years for that to come back. And so I don't expect prices to drop. I don't. I expect there will be some buyers that are sidelined and have to wait a year or have to wait two years. Which might um, be healthy. Yeah, that's yeah. A, I, it's I, not a bad thing necessarily, but I still think we'll have plenty of people uh, needing to move, needing to sell, needing to buy, uh, and we're going to be okay. I think even if we double our inventory, I still don't know that we're at a balanced market. No. <laughs> so I, I'm with Tammy on that. Like I, I still feel really good about the direction we're heading. I still feel really good about the market. Now, Again, perspective matters. If I look back where I was in 2021, do I think it's going to be 2021? I would probably say no. Uh, but 2020, 2019, I mean, those were like incredible years in real estate. Yeah. And yeah. It, it feels like it's going to be an incredible year in real estate when I compare to those years. So just because people are asking questions about this, you, you talk about this year relative to previous years. So pending home sales well, let's start with existing home sales. So what we've sold so far this year nationally is down 4.5%. From last year. From last yeah. year. And uh, 3.1% in the Midwest. Is and that through April? That is only through March. Or only through March. And so I think we'll see more of that as April and May's numbers come out. Is but that it, mainly a statement about number of buyers or number of sellers? Well, number of sellers seems to be increasing. So I think that's a statement about buyers saying, whoa, horsey, let me see what happens here. And I don't think it's permanent. I think it's just that pace of increase of interest rates is cause for anyone to step aside for a second and just yeah. check where things are headed. And so, it doesn't, and it, go ahead. I'll, no. It doesn't, um, it, it also doesn't say what's going to happen the rest of the year. I mean, there's definitely no. been years where, We've been way busier in August, September, October than we were, especially with outside forces before. like interest rate changes. Right. I think I think the interest rates are causing a pause, but yeah. I don't I don't necessarily think that that doesn't mean some of those sales are going to come back later this year. Well, especially if inventory starts showing up, right? Because they're all still out there looking, right? Um, and it is still, for reference, five and a half percent, which. For most of humankind's history, would have been uh, a gift. Pending homes, though, again down. So this one is slightly higher, eight eight percent down year over year nationally, and almost five percent in the Midwest. So I'm only pointing that out because I've got a lot of people who are going, "Well, hold on, our slow, our sales slowing." And so, Carl, to your point, 
yeah, probably we aren't going to see this year's volume match what it was last year. But that is a completely different thing than what's going to happen yeah. to prices and whether or not there's still a high demand. And, and inventory ticking up seems more and more like a healthy thing. And like you said, it's not going to, even if it doubled, it would still be 60% of what it was just four years ago. Yep. So, um, are, we, are we tracking average days on market anymore? I know that's a bit of a... It's still record. Yeah. Has that turned and no. started up? That has not turned up. Okay. The, the, that's uh, from Altos last week. Uh, it still seems like that's there's no change in that pace. It feels like that's where we want to go. Just speaking to what Kyle said about inventory could double. Um, I think he's right about that. Somewhere in between now and the inventory doubling, that average days on market will will turn up and we'll get to what feels like a more kind of normal, I'm going to use the word, maybe a sensible sort of market mm-hmm. where people have time to make buying decisions and selling yeah. decisions. And it's more of a meeting of a minds than a meeting of emotions. Well, there was a time where if you sold your property in less than 30 days, it by definition would be considered... Big win. A, well, but it would have been considered underpriced. Yeah. Like we... Yeah. A, mar- a property should sit on the yeah. market for four weeks yeah. for it to be properly considered by the buyer. I do remember that argument, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? No, that was great. That was a great... <laughs> no. I, I couldn't tell if he that was... He's also sensitive right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember you making that case, and I thought you were so smart, and that was so correct, and it was just very encouraging. Oh, well, I just feel encouraged right now. Thank you. <clears throat> no, but we've forgotten this. And yeah. so you keep bringing up this generation of buyers, sellers, and agents. Yeah. And I think you're right. There's going to have to be some reschooling go on. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've lost uh, uh, a reference point, I think, to what a normal market looks like. And, and Kyle, there's no indication we're going to be normal anytime for another yeah, year yeah, or two. Yeah. So. What it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Is this normal for the next decade? Wouldn't that be something? I just am celebrating watching inventory go up slightly. And so I think the number one thing to watch is uh, these interest rates. If they have pulled back slightly, that's actually a sign of something quite encouraging. I, I just, you know, it's easy to watch the news and get discouraged because you read those numbers and how can that, if I look at real estate and say, how can that not be discouraging? Sales are down, mm-hmm. you know, all these numbers are negative, but again, it's only reflecting on last year, you know, not the bigger picture. And so I think as a real estate agent and as I'm talking to my clients, like it, the real estate mar- market is still extremely strong. And that's what I keep taking away from this. But. Do, we, do we have time for one more topic? Six months ago, we were talking a lot about construction costs. And that seems like that has gone away. I'm wondering, Kyle, what are you seeing in that area? Because I do think, as we think through pricing, some of it is market supply and demand. But some of it is new construction costs kind of set that price level. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, it was new construction costs that was driving everything up. And when you say go away, you mean we stopped talking about it? Or yeah, you- I haven't heard us talking about it anymore. Because we've just gotten used to it now, huh? Well, I don't know. That's Or maybe it's leveled off. Maybe we aren't seeing those big increases. That's why I was wondering what Kyle was It's saying. not leveling off on the list prices. So if it has leveled off, that means the builders are just regaining some margin. What we said. Yeah, now. I mean, even earlier this year, they were raising their prices on houses that were already listed. So yeah, maybe that slowed down a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. I'd like to see the year over year cost of that same plan. I mean, it's significant. 
Yeah, I had people talking to me about buying a new construction house at 2021 price level Mm -hmm. or 2020 price, almost like you used to do with a car. Mm -hmm. You know, in December, you can go out and buy this year's car model at 10% under the the new one. Houses were kind Mm -hmm. of getting to that point, and it never had been that way before. And I wonder if that's ending or if that's a continuing trend. Yeah, because I've seen nothing about the supply chain on that. I'm seeing baby food, (coughs) but I'm seeing nothing about lumber right now. Um, we should we should do a little digging into that because you're right. I've heard nothing about it. If it were loosening and lumber and whatever else was back in a more healthy flow, I imagine there'd be less motivation for HBA or whatever to uh, talk about that. Meaning them recovering some margin probably is something they would want yeah. to be able to do while prices are going up. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, that affects resale pricing. That's the only reason I bring it up. must. Oh, it has to. Yeah, because it it's, it seems like that actually, is it too much to say that that would set the standard? I've told my builders for years that there's this flow of, of the price gap between new construction and resale that kind of tightens and then expands and then tightens and expands. And that kind of def- flows with other factors within the market that helps... You know, sometimes a builder can get 10%, sometimes they can get 12%, sometimes they get 15% um, in terms of margin. I think and, they were happy to get five for the last decade, what, uh, five years. I, I don't think it has been as rough as that. Kyle? Do you get that sense, Kyle? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I get that sense, but... Okay. Let me expand. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you think about it, if you, because with these price increases, if a builder was getting 10%, a year ago on a $350,000 house, that's $35,000. If now it's 10% on a $400,000 house, it's the exact same house. Now it's $40,000. There's yeah. an extra five of profit in there. That's what people are saying about real estate commissions too. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually true, yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's. Uh, we're 40 minutes in. Let's kind of wrap up. I, I'm looking for the nuggets here. We've n- mentioned several, um, maybe just wrap it up each of you respectively what's your general sentiment and kind of to do's in this marketplace right now who wants to start i would start and say it's all about education which i've i've heard kyle say too just everybody needs to understand where we are at yes in 2022 but let's talk about where that puts us in terms of this last decade and in this century and it just brings perspective that i think is really helpful for everybody specifically on what topics like i mean rates obviously like rates pricing home affordability um yeah just lending uh softening tightening that just all that stuff we are in a unique spot that when it moves a little bit people just react like it was something massive when actually it's making us more normal yeah, I think uh, education key, and you, we were talking earlier with sellers, just, you know, uh, setting expectations ahead of time. I, I'm always careful promising the moon. Uh, I'd rather, you know, I mean, we said it forever, but under promise and over deliver. So want to continue that. I don't want to promise something that I can't deliver. And then I keep going back to arms because I think that's a great way for me and my clients to win right now. Yeah, uh, whether you're affording more house or lowering your payment, um, you know, I, I think that's uh, something to highly consider having that conversation. So. That was insightful for me. I, I hadn't really processed the extent to which an arm has become taboo in my head. Mm-hmm. But in any normal market, 
arms were pretty much a pretty standard part of how we made real estate happen. And in most countries in the world, by the way, there is no such thing as a 30-year fixed loan. Right. I was talking to a guy over Green State the other day, and he says over 90% of what they're doing right now, I think was the number he used, is arms. Hmm. Especially at those rates you were quoting, because yeah. I've I've been recommending some arms, but they weren't as good a rates yeah. as what you So Green States must really be going after that. Yeah. Are they holding those in-house? Yeah, they're in-house. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's that kind of a new thing, too. In-house. 700 credit score. Need yeah. 700 credit score in-house. I'm seeing a lot more in-house mortgages. Mm. Tammy, take us home. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll kind of combine those two things. I mean, I think it's really important to look at the history. Um, I mean, you're, there's a lot of news. There's a lot of people talking about real estate right now. And you got to stop, take a deep breath, and really think about what's happened over the last decade, like Roger said. Um, because the, what's happened in the last two years is not normal. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know that we're going back to normal, but... Um, but you just have to stop and breathe and, and really think about what they're saying because it's probably not as doom and gloom as it, they might be saying, and it's also probably not as rosy pink. Um, and then secondarily, just counseling your clients and talking through what their options are. I mean, I think that's where arms come in. I think that's where, you know, for the entry level, maybe that's where waiting comes in. Um, maybe it's not. And, and you really have to counsel them and talk through what their situation is. I think those are important things. What I love about that, um, what I've been working on the last couple of weeks is focusing on what I can control. I'm asking the right, question, yeah. is this up to me or is it not up to me? If it's up to me, I give it a hundred percent. If it's not up to me, zero of my time. And what you're talking about there is what we can control in this environment. And there's a lot of things we can control. And even if you don't get the sale this year, you providing great counsel to them to say, mm-hmm. hey, maybe you need to wait a few months is what guarantees you the sale next year. And so, yeah. yeah, I just think we need to not allow this market to get us in it. In it. I always think of the, like the rock surrounded by all these crashing waves. Like that's what we have to be. And sometimes the ocean calms down and the waves go away. But for the most part, within 24 hours, they're back, right? And so we have to be that rock for our, our clients, for our... Uh, but also for our families and whatever else, right? So, um, yeah, focus on what you can control. I think there's lots of good nuggets there. Uh, we can go back now to you guys berating me for being wrong <laughs> about multiple offers. Yeah. Um, I think stay positive is key for me. I got a postcard in the mail yesterday from an agent for my Arizona house, and it had all these quotes in here, like Tammy shared, about all the doom and gloom, like, hey, get ahead. If you're an investor, sell it because it's it's crashing. I'm mm. like, I, mm. I, I don't want that. That's... That I don't think is a message, nor do I ever want to convey that message. But I, I think it's positive, and I I want to stay positive, and think we should stay positive. Yeah, I'm not selling my stuff. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't. Uh, no, on the contrary, I wish I'd bought more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was talking to Seth Bolton the other day. He says, "Did you ever met someone that didn't look back and say, hey, I wish I wouldn't have sold that?' Like we always wish we would have held it because you know they've gone up and they continue to right. rise. So, yeah." Okay, well, thank you guys. Uh, have a good week. It's the sun's shining. It's summer. It's a good time to be in real estate. Thank you for joining us today. For more episodes, resources, and show notes, head to morethanmorepodcast.com.